Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is a little bonus episode for you. I'm just Andrew today, so just me, so hope you don't mind. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to talk about the BFI, or Sight and Sound, Greatest Movies of All Time list. So this is a decennial list from the British Film Institute. Uh, we haven't had one since 2012. And this is the list of lists for all film nerds. So this is going to be in a lot of ways, the canon for the next 10 years, and there's, you know, pluses or minuses to that. I don't, it's, at the end of the day, it's still a list, um, but it's the list that a lot of people buy into, and so I think it could be fun to talk about what happened, what changed, what's new, what's different, and um, yeah. So I have not seen everything on the 100 entry list, um, So, but I'm just going to talk about the top 10. Um, but that is a, if you are getting into film and you are really curious about where to start, this is actually a great place to begin because in a lot of ways, the greatest films of all time are on this list. And I have a hard time disputing that. Um, as much as a film nerd and film snob that I can be, and as much as I can be a pretentious dude about stuff at the same time, I also know that sometimes these are not the most easy films to watch. And sometimes maybe they get a little too far up into themselves. However, I do agree with what's all in the top 10 this year, and I think that it is a great place to look if you are getting into film. Now, just uh, before we get into the top 10, I uh, will talk a little bit about what's also new to the list, just period. Um, at the, the beginning of the list, at number 95, there's actually a few things tied for 95, so it's... It's complicated how the lettering works. Um, but Get Out made it, and I think that that's amazing. I think that's, like, the coolest thing that could happen in the in our uh, entries. So that's 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 really neat. I'm glad to see that in the, in the list. I also like the fact that Barry Jenkins' Moonlight made in at number 60, tied with La Dilsa Vita and Daughters of the Dust. I think that's really cool, and I like the fact that newer films are being recognized even if they haven't had the, like, test of time like people think it might. I am a little surprised that Parasite only made it at number 90. Um, I actually kind of thought it would make it a little bit higher, but nonetheless, it's still cool that it made the list, and it'll probably crawl up when we have a new list in 2032. Oh, ugh, that seems very far away. Um, hopefully, we still have a world in which we are talking about movies. Um, but yeah, so before I get in the top 10, I want to talk about um, 15 through 11 real quick. Um, so... I, uh, coming in at 15, it's The Searchers by John Ford, which is a movie that I understand is a big deal, and it is, from a technical level, it is very well shot. I have never been a big fan of the story, and I'm not exactly a big fan of John Wayne to begin with. Um, he's just not my kind of rugged guy, we'll just put it that way. After that, we got uh, Cleo from 5 to 7, um, from uh, Anya Savarda, which is a great film about a woman who is uh, waiting to find out what the results of her diagnosis are and her time between, well, five to seven during that day. Recommend checking that out. That is great. Uh, one that is surprising to not see it in the top 10 is Rules of the Game by uh, Jean Benoit. And uh, that is a film that was very beloved um, on this list for, for many years. And it, when I finally watched it, I could kind of see what the big deal was. Um, I feel about this movie what a lot of people feel about Citizen Kane. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's not bad. I am glad that I've seen it. Um, but it didn't wow me like it did other people. I, I kind of get it why it was a big deal for a long time. But now I've become less impressed with it over the years. Godfather is number 12. Um, great film. I have like I actually think Godfather Two is a little bit better, but I've said that before. And then my favorite, my favorite silent film, Sunrise: A Song of Two Humans by F. W. Murnau. 
Um, that is, that, like I said, this is my favorite silent film and is the one, if you're only going to ever watch one silent movie, that is the one I recommend you watch. All right, but now really getting to the top 10. But before I do that, um, so this poll is different from a lot of other polls in that instead of people giving a list of like one through 10, instead of them giving what they think is like the one through 10 best films of all time, they just list 10 what 10 movies that they think are the best of all time so there isn't really a ranking involved in all this and so everything is decided on votes if everybody says it's citizen kane then obviously that would be number one it wasn't this year by the way but we'll get to that um however if there are other movies that people think are really good and a good number of people mention that it may not be considered that person's greatest movie necessarily but if it makes it on enough lists it'll get higher and higher on the list that may not be the best way to explain it i did what i could i'm not a statistician yeah into the top 10 we got singing in the rain which is a film tim and i love a lot um we talked about that in our i believe it was our second movies for people who love movies and we're hoping to do one of those very soon for you guys coming up and uh i I've said before that I think it is, it, if it is not Singing in the Rain, that is the best movie musical of all time. It would be All That Jazz. Um, if anything, it, All That Jazz is the, <laughs> is the sadder version of that. I don't know. Uh, talked about it a lot. After that is, number nine is Man with the Movie Camera, which is a Russian montage film, for lack of a better term. Like, what we kind of understand about editing got more or less developed in that film. I mean, not everything. I mean, there was Battleship Potemkin and everything, but a lot of how we can do a lot of neat stuff with editing and camera work and in-camera effects, that was um, kind of discovered and innovated in that film. Worth checking out. Um, also a silent movie. Very experimental. Um, worth checking out. After that is probably my favorite on this, on the top 10 list, and that is Mulholland Drive by David Lynch. I've talked about this on the Psychoanalysis podcast about how much I love this movie. I, in many ways, think it is the best film of the 21st century, and or at least so far, and I can't recommend it enough. Um, it is a film about uh, an amnesiac who meets up with another woman in Hollywood, and they try to solve the mystery of who she is and all that. There's also stuff about a about a movie being made, and oh, it's just so deliciously weird and bizarre, and just one of the best things you make movies for. And the fun thing is, is it started out as a television pilot that didn't get picked up, and so David Lynch got some extra money and uh, made a feature-length movie out of it. So definitely worth checking out. Um, number seven, I've just saw for the first time this year, and that's Belcheville by Claire Denis. Um, that is a <laughs> it's a kind of a homoerotic military film and i just saw that just saw this this year and it actually is actually a very interesting film it's hard for me to describe it it's um I mean, it's not for everyone but i do think it's worth l at least checking out the trailer to see if that's something you're going to be into it is french it is looking at toxic masculinity in a very interesting way and uh, that may be boring to some but pretty interesting for others after that we got number six and that is 2001 a space odyssey by stanley kubrick from 1968 uh, this is another one of those movies that is hailed for all of its technical stuff. Um, I do like this movie. I do think it's very well made. I It is not my favorite Kubrick movie. That would be The Killing and then probably The Shining after that. Um, I do, however, recommend that this is one of those movies that if you're going to be a film nerd, this is a very important movie because there's a lot about photography and sound and, and special effects that um, happen in this movie that becomes quite the influence. Um, after that, number five, we got In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai from 2000, and that is a very beautiful film. It is 
very striking in its color palettes and the way it is shot, but it's a very interesting story about um, two people who uh, are involved, but uh, just can't quite get there. Um, I kind of felt that everything, everywhere, all at once, um, did a lot of nods to this movie. So if you're a fan of that, you'll probably find at least something to like in this movie. Um, after that, we got Tokyo Story by uh, Ozu from 1953. Um, o uh, of the movies on this list, Tokyo Story is one of the more human stories. And, and they, uh, it's about this elder couple who go and visit their families, uh, their various children in Tokyo. And that in and of itself is actually kind of an interesting slice of life aspect to it. But it's also really technically well made. It's shot in a very engaging and very like real manner. Um, like I said, it's a very human film. You really get the sense of what human relationships are like and what, how things can be different between parents and between siblings, between in-laws and all sorts of stuff. It's a, it's a very good film. In number three this year is Citizen Kane, which is a, a classic. I'm a big fan of it, but I have understood why people aren't super <laughs> into it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it can be difficult to be into a movie that is about a stuffy newspaper guy who makes some interesting decisions. Also, it'd be like today, if we were to make this movie, it would probably would be about like, there aren't a lot of like news mogul people. Um, now keep in mind that this was supposed to be a William Randolph Hearst back then, and we don't exactly have an equivalent to this to this now, except for maybe Rupert Murdoch, and I really don't want to watch a movie about him. Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, um, for years was on the top of the list for quite some time before it got supplanted by Vertigo, uh, which is the number two spot this year, um, which is an Albert Hitchcock film. It's not my favorite Hitchcock film, that's probably Strangers on a Train, um, but on a technical way, this is probably his best shot, best made, best crafted film. I once saw it in 70mm while my mother-in-law was visiting, she came along with me, and it was quite the treat to see it just huge and taking up the whole screen, and it's just this interesting version of Jimmy Stewart that is... I don't know if he goes down this dark road ever again in any of his filmography. So I, it's worth checking out just for that. But just the photography, the just weirdness of it all, it's a, it's a, you can definitely tell it was like a huge influence on David Lynch. And like, you, you may not see it so much in Mulholland Drive as you would like Lost Highway, but it is clearly a big influence on a lot of cinema. And that is where a lot of critics and directors are coming from when they're making their list. It's not necessarily... Um, movies that had huge mainstream appeal. It's movies that were really influential and really added to the art form. And so that's why this is such a big movie nerd list. And that takes us to our last film, which uh, some years ago I decided to watch all the movies that were on the BFI and the AFI list that I had not seen. And this was one by Chantel Ackerman, or sorry, Chantel Ackerman, um, that I was at first feeling a little daunting about um, but nonetheless, it is, and I'm hopefully going to not mess up my French too badly here, but it is, uh, Jeanne Delmont, 23, quand tu commences, 1400 Bruxelles, um, or Jeanne Dielman, as I tend to just think of it, um, and that is the film that is, it is close to four hours, um, about Jean, um, who is a housewife, who is, uh, just living her life, and we see her live her life in a very, we kind of find the beauty of the banality of life in this movie. So we see Jean make mashed potatoes. We see Jean just go through her day. And it's done often in real time. It's not exactly got a thousand things going at once. But it is a very real, very human film. 
in, but in a different way than Tokyo Story. When I watched this, um, I gotta admit there were times when I was getting a little bored um, <laughs> because it takes it takes some time to get going. Um, but that's kind of the point of it. It's supposed to get you there and supposed to make you sit with it and deal with it. Um, it is not exactly ADD friendly, I will admit. Um, but when it turned it off, I was like, okay, I guess I can kind of see how that's a big deal. But the thing is, like, I think about this movie kind of a lot, and it pops in my head often when I'm thinking about the of how mundane things can be or the repetition of things and and it just it spoke to me in a way that I didn't realize for weeks and I still think about it probably at least once or twice a month it's a movie that really haunts you and I think that might be the reason why it made it so high on the list this year um do I think it's the greatest movie of all time no, probably not, but I kind of think it might be one of the most effective movies of all time because of that. And like I said, it's just a list at the end of the day. I don't exactly know what the greatest movie of all time is, but this is a great place to for you to figure it out on your own. And honestly, sometimes I think the best movie of all time is the one I'm watching right then and there. So... Hopefully this wasn't too boring for you. This was way more film nerd than normal for us. So, uh, yep, hope you're having a good time, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Bye.